Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on February 6th, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Elective courses on personal finance are considered invaluable in Long Island schools. Education advocates said students aren't required to take a financial literacy course in high schools across New York, though they are in a growing number of states. That fact, along with concerns about equal access to personal finance education, has led advocates to call for all high schoolers statewide to learn about money management in a mandatory standalone class. Denden Zhao reports on Newsday.com that not everyone agrees that mandating a course in school is the best approach. Some argue that efforts would be better spent on boosting existing curricula. Others worry that adding another requirement would crowd out other learning objectives. Meanwhile, community groups in Nassau and Suffolk counties have begun programs and hosted events uh, to fill the need for more financial education especially in communities of color. Momentum has grown across the country in recent years to mandate high schoolers learn about personal finance in a course all its own. Now 17 states require students to take a standalone class on the topic to graduate, according to NextGen Personal Finance, a national nonprofit that tracks state legislation. In New York State, personal finance education is embedded in an economics course. High school seniors take a structure that some say does not go in-depth enough to prepare students for adulthood. In school-adjacent news, fines for drivers caught passing stopped school buses generated close to $25 million in gross revenue for Suffolk County last year. Under a bus camera program, the county has touted as a vital safety tool for children, but also has been met with skepticism by motorists and officials concerned it's a cash grab. Lorena Mongelli reports on Newsday.com that first-time offenders receive a $250 ticket when school buses flash their red lights and stop arm cameras extend and record drivers purportedly failing to stop during student pickups and drop-offs. During the program's first full year of implementation in 2022, the county delivered 118,929 tickets and generated an estimated $24 million thousand forty one dollars before expenses according to unaudited data provided by Suffolk County Executive Office and Bus Patrol the Virginia-based company that operates the program in 71 Suffolk school districts including BOCES. Bus Patrol began operating in 28 Nassau County school districts in December. The number of tickets issued per month has gradually dropped off since a uh, November 2021 peak, which Suffolk County and camera vendor officials said shows the program is working. But some drivers complained that the program seems focused on gotcha moments and they didn't receive initial notices of violations. Fines in Suffolk started in May 2021. The ticket revenue is split under the county contract with roughly 55% allotted to Suffolk and, wow, 45% to bus patrol. Also in transportation news, an increase in the MTA payroll tax won't impact nearly as many employers as it did when implemented in 2009, but political opposition might be just as loud from suburban lawmakers who want to block it. Yancey Roy reporting on Newsday.com that it's one issue that appears to unite Long Island Democrats and Republicans in the state ledge. At issue is a proposal from Governor Kathy Hochul to increase the top tax rate on a payroll tax that is paid by some employers in the 12-county region served uh, serviced by the Metropolitan uh, Transportation Authority. The Democratic governor said the hike is needed to help the MTA recover from a huge deficit triggered in part by a steep decline in subway and train ridership during the pandemic. Quote, the New York City economy drives the state of New York, Hochul said when unveiling her proposed budget for the fiscal 2023-24 year. And the MTA helps drive the New York City economy, so it's critically important for all of us. The levy, officially known as Metropolitan Commuter Transportation Mobility Tax, was enacted in 2009, a year after the stock market 
meltdown that sent the nation into a recession. New York Democratic Governor David A. Patterson approved the tax then as a way to cover a massive deficit and help the fund help fund the MTA. In 2011, uh, newly elected GOP legislators helped push a rollback that exempted schools, libraries, and businesses with less than $1.25 million annual payroll. Municipalities aren't exempt. State Senator Anthony Palumbo, the Republican from New Suffolk, tells Newsday, quote, due to the diligent work of the Senate GOP, the impact will not be felt as widely as it was in 2009. However, this new tax increase will still hurt the downstate economy, especially our businesses still finding their footing after the pandemic. And finally, Riverhead Town Supervisor Yvette Aguiar announced Friday night she will not seek a third term of office. She did not provide a reason for her decision. Denise Civiletti reporting on RiverheadLocal.com that in her statement, Aguiar cites guiding the town through the pandemic, the purchase and demolition of two blighted buildings on Main Street for a new town square, which she called, quote, the key component for component for revitalizing our downtown and our train station area and the purchase of property on West 2nd Street for a new town hall as significant accomplishments of her tenure as supervisor. Other initiatives are well on their way, Aguiar said in a statement. Uh, Her term of office ends December 31st. On Election Day, November 7th, Riverhead voters will choose a new town supervisor who serves a two-year term and two council members who serve four-year terms. The Riverhead Republican Committee will choose its slate of candidates at a meeting later this month, according to Victor Prusinowski, who chairs the party's candidate screening committee. Reading the weather in Stony Brook this morning in honor of our first guest, Dr. Michelle Bloom, co-director of the Stony Brook Cardio-Oncology Program and director of the Outpatient Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathy Program uh, from the uh, Stony Brook Heart Institute, joining us for the Medical Monday segment at the bottom of the hour, looking like a partly sunny Monday with a high near 48 degrees, north wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, increasing to 11 to 16 miles per hour in the afternoon Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 27 degrees, north wind 9 to 15 miles per hour. Right now, it's 33 degrees, and it's been a lot this past week, this past year, these past few years, especially as we crawl out of the pandemic. So I've got a lot edition of The Heart for you this morning, Um, Ernest Tubb, Johnny Cash, and Temi Scott in your immediate listening future. But first, a little bubble gum by Claire Rosencrantz's uh, parking lot from 2021 right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. I'm alone on the curb at 12 a.m. Reminiscing of the memories that we had. Street lights burn bright on the busy street. I'm alone in the parking lot. Look at me. All these eyes passing by, but I'm invisible. Is there something wrong with me? Am I fixable? I'm alive. What I know, I'm not a criminal Will I be somebody? This is miserable I'm in my head Forgot to breathe the colors Cast red, yellow, green My heart got dead in jealousy I'm desperate for good company My words just You got caught, you 
If you want to hear a secret track, you can find today's playlist at WLIW.org slash radio. Click on the Heart of the East End and find today's edition of the Heart. It's the A Lot edition of the Heart of the East End. I'm going to be hopping over Thanks a Lot from uh, Third Eye Blind's self-titled record from 1997. Hopping back in time, Ernest Tubb. Thanks a lot. Johnny Cash with the same. Then uh, a track that I'd never heard before putting together this list, but love a lot. It's called A Lot to Lose by Temi Scott, the Avid Brothers, and Jimmy Buffett, as well as Taj Mahal ahead of that. And then uh, one of the last month, question mark. I believe we lost her this past month. Christine McVie uh, on deck after that. Dr. Michelle Bloom joining us in just a few minutes uh, to talk about the heart here on the Heart of the East End. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Ernest Tubb. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, commercial-free WLIWFM. Thanks a lot I got a broken heart That's all I've got You made me cry And I cried a lot I lost your love Baby, thanks a lot You told our friends As I was passing by That you're not sorry That you made me cry you said I deserve just what I got Well, if that's how you feel, honey, thanks a lot Thanks, thanks a lot I got a broken heart, and that's all I've got You made me cry, and I cried a lot I lost your love 
honey, thanks a lot. Oh, Leon. to Dr. Michelle Bloom for joining us this morning for the Medical Monday segment, underwritten by Jennifer Benton. Dr. Bloom is a cardiologist from the Stony Brook Heart Institute, co-director of the Stony Brook Cardio-Oncology Program and director of the Outpatient Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathy Program. Uh, It is Heart Month. Uh, February is American Heart Month, an ideal time to remind folks to focus on their hearts. We like to do uh, that both about the emotional heart, but also about the actual one, the one that'll keep you uh, on this plane. Uh, Dr. Bloom, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you just great. Now, uh, we're very proud of Stony Brook, uh, you know, one of America's 50 best hospitals cardiac surgery two years in a row now and one of America's 100 best hospitals for cardiac care for nine consecutive years. I saw a little love note that uh, Stony Brook is one of only two hospitals in the state to to be named among America's uh, 100 best hospitals for cardiac care nine years in a row. So deep bow to you for all you do and how well you do it. Uh, we're grateful to have you, especially because heart disease, uh, though it's sometimes thought as a man's disease, is the leading killer of women in America. So I'd love if we could start there. Yeah, so um, this is, I, I have to say something, obviously, that's been my life passion as a, as a cardiologist, and, and actually particularly as a female cardiologist who takes care of a of female patients. Um, and as they say, men and women are very, very different. And so it shouldn't be surprising to anyone that their hearts are different and the way they present with heart disease is also different. Right. Um, so, you know, we always, we always kind of think of heart disease and a heart attack as what you see in the movies, right? Like a, a man in his middle age or older age clutching his chest and, and looking pale and sweating and then all of a sudden you call 911 and he's having a heart attack. But the real life situation for men and women is very, very different from that. It's not always like that. And so, you know, we always remind um, patients that a heart attack and heart disease can present differently in different patients. And it's important to really, really listen to your body so that you know if something's wrong. So let's let's dig into this a little so, bit. Let's look at the symptoms and, and risk factors for, for both Uh, men and women? Yes. So um, I was going to say typical symptoms for a heart attack in both men and women can be chest pain, usually in the middle of the chest, sometimes to sort of like the left of the chest. Sometimes that pain can radiate to the jaw or the back or the arm, particularly oftentimes people will say their left arm is aching and it can be aching pain or it can be a sharp pain. It can be associated with sweating or nausea or sometimes even vomiting. Um, but those, I would say, are the more typical symptoms. And particularly, as I said before, in women, um, these symptoms can actually be much more subtle. So, for example, um, a woman can, um, can describe sort of like a tight band around her chest, almost 
as if like you you feel like your bra is too tight. I've heard many, many women describe it like that. Um, they also can, you know, present with things like dizziness or lightheadedness. Sometimes it can be confused with indigestion, like you just feel like you have bad reflux. Um, sometimes palpitations. And actually another really important one is just extreme fatigue. Like you just feel like more tired um, than you should for the activity that you did. And that can sometimes be a tip-off that something is wrong. Um, I guess at the end of the day, I can tell you countless stories of many of my female patients who either ignored their symptoms or thought their symptoms could not possibly be their heart and had to be something else. And because of that, they delayed their treatment. And sometimes that can lead to um, poor outcomes in general. So we really need to be mindful of that and people need to be aware of that. You know, when it comes to fatigue, that's a big one when it comes to cardiomyopathy, right? That's for sure. Um, And we can talk about that as well because obviously, you know, my other job in life um, besides a general cardiologist is I'm a heart failure cardiologist and fatigue is a very, very important symptom not to ignore in patients that have a weak heart or a heart that doesn't relax well. What does that mean? Can you talk a little bit about uh, what it means to have a heart that does not relax well and, and how you might know that you are one of those people? Yeah. So, um, so we use the term heart failure, um, which is basically a medical condition where um, a person either has a problem with the relaxing of their heart, like the heart is supposed to, the heart is a muscle, so it's supposed to pump and relax and pump and relax, and that's every beat. And the issue when someone has heart failure is either there's a problem with the muscle not pumping strongly enough, so it's it's weaker as a muscle, or it doesn't relax well in order to accept and fill blood to then pump out to the rest of the body. And what this really means um, to patients is that um, because of these abnormalities in the heart, people can present with shortness of breath, they can present with fatigue, their bodies can fill up with fluid in their lungs or their belly or their leg. And this is sort of what we, you know, what we term heart failure. Um, the interesting thing is that heart failure and cardiomyopathy um, can be caused by, I, I always tell patients, there's a laundry list of a thousand things that can cause it. Most common is blockages in the arteries, either blockages themselves or if people have a blockage that causes a heart attack. But there are so many other things that can cause it too, like excessive alcohol or drugs, certain viruses can cause a weakening of the heart, certain cancer drugs can cause a weakening of the heart or other medications. And so um, the common end result, either if the heart doesn't pump well or it doesn't relax well, can be these symptoms of heart failure. So I guess going along with alcohol, I want to, I love I like to uh, check, uh, fact check things I read on on Wikipedia because you never know and and you're a doctor. Something that I read about cardiomyopathy this morning was that untreated celiac disease can cause cardiomyopathy, but that it can completely reverse if you catch it early enough. Is that right? Celiac disease, is that what you said? Yes. Yes. So um, that's not something that we commonly see, although I will tell you that in general, um, heart failure sort of travels in a pack with other comorbidities. Comorbidities, when we say that, we mean other medical conditions like lung disease, thyroid disease, um, GI disease, um, you know, other, other types of cancers. And so the risk factors for a lot of diseases can overlap. And if you don't have those other diseases under control, Mm. um, then that certainly can tip off a person who already has heart failure or who has a cardiomyopathy. So it's really, really important to your point to have all of your other diseases well controlled. Diabetes is a big one also. So if, um, you know, if you have a lot of different medical conditions and they are uncontrolled, particularly chronic medical conditions that are uncontrolled, that can absolutely cause people to go into worsening heart failure. So we need to be very mindful of that. All right. So tips, tips for everyone. What can we do, uh, no matter what our situation may be, to reduce uh, risk for heart disease and uh, keep us healthy, as healthy as possible? So, so I would say 
sort there are many, many different things we can do. I always tell my patients that you can't control there are certain things that you can't control. You can't control your family history, you can't control your genetics, and unfortunately, while we would all like to, we can't go backwards in age. Right. <laughs> so we have to control the things that we can control. So we can control our blood pressure, we can control our cholesterol, we can control our weight. And we can control the amount of physical activity we do every day. And if you um, know your numbers, we always say to people, know your numbers, know what, where you're at, and talk to your doctor about how you can bring those numbers into the right range. So make sure your blood pressure is good, your cholesterol is good, your weight is at an ideal body weight, and make sure that you're exercising or doing physical activity every day. Those are very, very um, important things and relatively simple things that we can do to put ourselves at less risk in general for heart disease. I would say the other important thing is that at the very least, everyone should be seeing their primary care physician or their internist every year to get age-appropriate screening, including in some cases an EKG if, if it's appropriate based on your age and your risk factors. And from there, your primary care can absolutely refer you to a cardiologist if she or he thinks that that is appropriate for your situation. So let's let's uh, talk about that. You know, at what age or uh, should folks be getting their heart screened? Uh, I know you said that uh, it also depends on on genetics and and other risk factors. But you know, uh, if if someone is out there and they haven't gotten screened yet, what should they be looking at as far as uh, sort of an average for age and whatnot, and and how often? So, yeah, so I, I would say, honestly, like everything in medicine and probably like everything in life, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this. Right. So if you're a person who has a strong family history, um, you're a person who has people, either your parents or your grandparents or aunts and uncles, who either had heart disease early or died of heart disease early, you're a person who probably should be presenting earlier to a cardiologist to get screened. Um, if you don't have any of those risk factors, then maybe you can wait a little bit longer. But I would say in general, any adult, you know, once you're sort of done with your pediatric years and you're done with your um, pediatrician, you should immediately transition over to an adult primary care physician or an internist because you should let that person decide with you and sort of have a conversation with you about your risk factors so that we can appropriately screen and we can appropriately triage people to where they need to be and what screening they need to have. Because it really isn't, there isn't an average age, there isn't an average type of person. It really is something that is very individualized. Now, you, you established and helped direct the cardio-oncology program. Can you tell me uh, everything about that that program, and, and I'm kidding because I'm sure that would take a while. But but uh, please please tell us a little bit more about the cardio oncology program at Stony Brook uh, Heart Institute. Absolutely, I I am more than happy to share that with you because it's something that we are very, very proud of. So I always tell my patients, essentially, cardio oncology is a field that grew out of almost marriage between oncology and heart care. So anything and everything where the heart and cancer overlap or intersect. And so what I mean by that is we see patients from all different types of situations. We see people who have existing heart disease who then get diagnosed with cancer, and we need to make sure that their risks are controlled and they're safe enough for their cancer therapy. Wow. We also see people who never had heart issues to begin with and then had cancer therapy, and that cancer therapy led to heart disease like uh, heart failure, cardiomyopathy like we talked about before, blockages in the arteries, high blood pressure. And then the other um, interesting um, patient population that we see a fair bit of is people who are childhood survivors of cancer, people who were kids when they had cancer and survived that cancer. And then when they get into their adulthood, even young adulthood, they are actually at an increased risk of heart disease earlier than their non-cancer counterparts. Um, so they are at an increased risk of heart disease, like blockages in the arteries, cardiomyopathy, heart failure, even earlier than they would. Is that is that have so we more see to all do all different types of patients like that? Is it does that have more to do with, uh, as you mentioned, like an effect from the cancer therapies, maybe chemotherapy or something, or 
with the fact that the heart has had to work so hard or I guess a little bit of both? Yeah, I think it's actually a little bit of both. It's primarily we feel that those patients, because many of the childhood cancers like the leukemia and lymphomas when when kids are very young, um, they wind up getting very high doses of certain types of chemotherapies that can predispose people to a weakening of the heart. And in addition to that, many of the of those types of cancers also require radiation. And that radiation is specifically either to the whole body or to the chest. And obviously, as you can imagine, the heart is in that area where that radiation was given. And we know that radiation over the long term can actually lead to blockages in the arteries, problems with the sac around the heart called the pericardium, heart failure, problems with the valves. So really, we think that the combination of the chemotherapy plus the radiation, plus the fact that they were so young when they got it, and then they have all these years of sort of damage that builds up, that's why they present earlier than they would otherwise in late adulthood. Fascinating and and such important work. Dr. Bloom, can you talk about the why for you, why uh, you established the cardio-oncology program? Absolutely. So... So I have to say um, it was a combination of obviously I I am very, very passionate about cardiac care in general, um, and the cardio-oncology program is something that really was born out from my love of seeing these types of patients when I was doing my training in my cardiology fellowship. I have to say um, one of my grandfathers actually died when I was very young of colon cancer, so I watched him go through that. Um, as a young girl, I was around 12 or 13 when he passed away. And then ironically, my other grandfather, when I was in college, um, was actually diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, but ironically huh. wound up passing away of a cardiomyopathy and heart failure. Huh. So he, um, he actually died of complications from the chemotherapy that he got um, that actually saved his life from the pancreatic cancer. And I think all of these kind of things shaped my career. So um, you know, so as an as um, you know, as a person doing my training, I guess that combined with just having sort of passion for these people that were coming into my clinic with cancer, who I was able to sort of shepherd through and help with these types of conditions, it all sort of molded into um, myself becoming a cardio oncologist. In addition to you know being an advanced heart failure specialist, it's something that I have been passionate about for many many years. And now, you know, sort of really brings me joy to help these types of patients in my everyday life as a, as a heart failure doctor. Well, we are so grateful that you exist. And I'm sure uh, your patients uh, are so grateful uh, that the cardio-oncology program exists, that you exist, that uh, Stony Brook is here. Um, for more information, folks can call 631-44-HEART. Or or three two seven eight four 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 three two seven eight, or they can go to heartstonybrookmedicine.edu. Very sorry for all your losses, but very grateful to all of the people that you have helped save, Doctor Bloom. I'm Gianna Volpe. That's Doctor Michelle Bloom, who is uh, the co-director of the Stony Brook Cardio Oncology Program and director of the Outpatient Heart Failure and cardiomyopathy program at uh, the Stony Brook Heart Institute. This was the Medical Monday segment underwritten by Jennifer Benton. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
try again But it seems that you're just out to get me And it looks as if you're just about to win No matter what you do I always will love you And you will never know How it hurts to see you go And for calling me those things you know I'm not Thanks a lot Thanks a lot for listening to listener-supported WLIWFM. This is Temi Scott on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. A lot to lose. I think I'm landed safely. Ain't curtain myself lately. So I don't want any news. I feel like Lundy's going. My friends are solid gold. Fifteen minutes before the NPR news break, and we've got a lot of songs <laughs> to get in. The Abbott Brothers. WLIWFM. 
if I was the police, I couldn't catch me because I'm always up and ready. A lot of chasing here, escaping there, blue lights flashing round everywhere. A lot of ooh, where am I going next? A lot of moving, a lot of rolling, a lot of driving, a lot of strolling, a lot of leaving here, arriving there. Trying to go just about everywhere A lot of thinking about where I'm going next Country to my left side, country to my right side City to my left side, city on my right side Banjos and back seats, side roads and side streets Oh, well if you want, want, want i stay for dinner i throw my suitcase Drinking there, I play and sing just about any damn where a lot of thinking about where I'm going next. A lot of moving, a lot of rolling, a lot of driving, a lot of strolling, a lot of leaving here, arriving there, trying to go just about everywhere. A lot of thinking about. A lot of thinking about where I'm going next. You have it, brothers. A lot of moving to Jimmy Buffett. A lot to drink about from the Buffett Hotel record of 2009. Then we'll hop back to 68 with a little Taj. Christine McVie, if we have time. Hey, have you noticed that the world has changed? That the news is all bad? Well, I think it's time for a song about that. Up on the east side of Manhattan, they're still dancing with the stars. While over in subprime city, it's getting ugly in the local bars. Watching the news only gives me the blues. There's too much going wrong. It takes the likes of me to hit the reboot key and write a high-speed drinking song. Millionaires losing everything. Hey, welcome to the other side of life. There goes the yacht, there goes the rolls, but you, you get to keep your wife. And don't forget the automakers swimming upstream like a trout. They let the and then they made a plan We got a, a lot to drink about There's the price of oil War of the spoils Here's your bucket for the big bill out Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan We got a, a lot to drink about Now Madoff made off with all the money And his clients are down to skunkweed Repeat after me, it's so easy to see We're only talking simple greed And those Somalian pirates Are counting all their gold While Bush and Cheney ain't around And all the good lookers seem to be From Key West to London town With the price of oil War of the spoils Here's your bucket for the big bailout Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, we got a, a lot to drink about. So pour me some Tennessee whiskey, pour me a fine Jamaican rum. That loudmouth soup can get you kind of loot. Tequila, of course I'll have some. Well, the family devalues, and little children plan their network. And the truth, wherever it's hiding, can't be found on Google Earth. City banks find jets with our money. I want to flog them with a buggy whip. Let's hope Barack and Joe won't let the volcano blow and patch the hole in our sinking ship. There's the price of oil, war of the spoils. Here's your bucket for the big bailout. Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. 
best and we got a, a lot to drink about. Recession, aggression, depression, good God, CNN keeps bumming me out. I can't take another doomsday minute, got a, a lot to drink, a lot to think, a lot to drink about. God bless America. A lot of love. And so much more. Christine McVie and Joni James leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour after a little Taj Mahal here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
I never care 